We are in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, Thank you for your prayers. I was sick last Sunday. I woke up uh, sore throat, headache, cough, and runny nose. And it turned out I had COVID. But it was only like one day. And then then I felt good Monday and and I had uh, a cough. I still have a lingering cough. They said that'll last. But thank you for your prayers. Um, I had to do the five-day quarantine thing and whatever. But um, I feel good. And it wasn't much. I think it was because you guys were praying. So thank you. Amen. Um, gosh, beautiful days lately. Just good to, to be here and to be teaching the Word of God to see all you folks and to be, hopefully encourage you guys today. We're going to talk about um, some good stuff, about being lights that shine bright for glory, for God's glory, about, uh, oh, here's a good one, do everything without complaining and disputing. Did you not hear me? That's a good one, right? Um, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18 today, but I, I really need to get a running start at it because it's so good what leads up to that. So let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1, until uh, we get to verse 14, which will be our topic for today. Well, actually, we'll back it up a little bit, talking about um, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's important for us to understand what that means. We addressed that last week, but... Um, Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. That's so important. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing... Gosh, got to take this in right here. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now he gives us the example who Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. Is he our example or what? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I might rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain and labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. 
Father, we thank you for the word of God. It just opens our eyes, Lord God. You are the great example, Lord God. The creator of all things, you're God. And you came down and you humbled yourself to pay for our sins on the cross, Lord God. And you led by example. You came to serve, not to be served, Lord. How should we get this? How can we grab onto this? How can we apply this in our lives, Lord God? How can we understand the importance of our service to the King of Kings and to serve one another? Lord, it's only by a po the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through this that we can accomplish this thing. And so we pray right now that you would ready us, ready our hearts and minds to receive the message today that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of you and we'd walk out of here wanting to serve you more than ever before in our life. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Great portion of Scripture. He talks to us about not complaining. He talks to us about being light. He talks to us about rejoicing when we see other people being used by God and, and the people that you disciple and the people that you minister to as they're being used by God. You can rejoice in that. And that we don't get jealous of one another, but we rejoice at what God is doing with each of the, the folks that we know, all of the folks we know. I love it when I see God using someone. And I love it when I see them go and pour into somebody else and watch that person grow too. You guys are such living proof, this service, the other service, living proof of God is working in this church. You guys are growing. I'm hearing great things out in the community about you guys. The love of God, you know. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. All those other things that come after love in Galatians 5, it's, it's, all, it's all like describing what love is. But the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's love. And this world will know that we're His by the love we have for one another and the love we have for the lost. And so he encourages us. Uh, last time we looked at he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what God had worked in you. And I explained to you that we don't work for our salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that God puts in us these desires and he wants us to work those desires out. I mean, if you've ever thought about being a worship leader, uh, a deacon, um, a children's ministry of going on missions or sharing the gospel. You, God worked that into you. God put that desire into you and now He's given you an opportunity to be involved with the work that He's doing. He says, now work that out. So God will give you these desires and He wants, you to, he wants to see you fulfill those desires. He wants you to see you go forward. Get involved. Don't just come to church every week. Serve God. He's worth it. When we get to heaven, we're never going to say, I served Him too much. I think I gave too much. You're not going to say that. You're going you're to be like that guy on Schindler's List that goes, I could have done more. I could have done more. And God is saying, work those things out. Now, when He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you've got to understand, it's not like, not like the fear like I'm going to hell. It's, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? That fear is like, I am so in awe of God that when I think about them, then I begin to think about the wisdom of God. When, when, I, when I am so in awe, I'm working out my salvation with awe and trembling that God is so good in my life. 
I can't believe he saved me. That's what we should be thinking. And so he says, work that out. And, and here's a great thing, is that as we work the things out that he puts on our heart, guess what? He gives us more. Are you someone that God can use? Or are you a clogged pipe? See, God will keep pouring. Every week you come here, you get poured into, get poured into, you get poured into. But when you leave this place, are you, are you distributing what, you, what was poured into you? Or are you just swelling up? See, I, I've told you this before. The Sea of Galilee, water comes in, water goes out. The water that comes out of the Sea of Galilee goes down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea just receives. It swells up, but it's dead. Why? It doesn't, it doesn't let go. It doesn't release. Our, our life as a Christian is catch and release. Whatever God gives us is to give away. So when He fills you with the Holy Spirit, it's not for you, but it's for the others. And so as He gives you the power and the gifts of the Spirit, we use them for others. And then He goes, okay, now here, I'm going to fill you up again. Now work out what I'm going to put in you now with awe and wonder and watch me work. And He just keeps filling us and filling us and filling us and filling us until the day of Christ when we stand in His presence. Isn't that awesome? But see, a lot of Christians believe in Jesus, but they don't trust Jesus. Does that make sense? I know nobody wants to admit that, right? But uh, is there a lot, of oppo- a lot of times in your life that you're like, I believe in Jesus, I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven and everything, but you're really not trusting what's happening right now? Or did you ever say like, you know, Lord, you don't really understand what's happening right now in my life? Or, Lord, I really don't agree with what you're doing right now. You ever get like that? So it's not just for us to believe, but it's for us to trust. See, God gives you a mind, a heart, and a free will. The mind understands the truth. The heart desires the truth. But the free will acts upon the truth. You have to act upon that truth. It's not just believing here in the head. It's believing in the heart. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So it's not just believing. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people in hell that believe in Jesus Christ. James said that the devils believe in Jesus Christ and tremble. But they're lost. Because why? They didn't put their trust. It's one thing to say, yeah, I, I believe Jesus is who he is. It's another one to put your trust and your faith in him. Right? Are you trusting Jesus with what he's doing in your life right now? Or are you murmuring and complaining? Gosh, this portion of Scripture, I was so glad I was sick last week because I was like, I don't really want to deal with this. Because this is so me. It's so in our nature. But am I going to trust everything that God's doing in my life? Even if I can't see it. Are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? There was a story, true story. Guy, high, high tight, tightrope walker, what do we call him? Right? He was at Niagara Falls and he strung a wire across Niagara Falls. And the crowd gathered and he said, How many of you believe that I could go across this and back? And they all go, We believe. And he went across and back. 
And then he pulled out a wheelbarrow, had the tire off, but it had the rim. And he says, how many of you think I could take this wheelbarrow across and back? They go, we believe. And he went across and back. And then he put like 50-pound bags of concrete in the wheelbarrow, like three or four of them. And he goes, how many of you believe I could wheel this across and come back? And they go, we believe you can do it. And so he goes across and back. And then he empties it out and he says, how many of you believe I could put a human in this, a person in this wheelbarrow and take him across the back? They go, we believe. And he goes, who wants to volunteer? (laughs) Who wants to trust? And maybe today you're in, you feel like you're in that wheelbarrow going across Niagara Falls, but Jesus is walking you. But you're fearful. Because you're not trusting. He says, we just read that we live in a crooked and perverse generation. We live in a dark world. And it's getting darker. And he says, let your light so shine. That we are the light of the world. Jesus said he was the light of the world. Now he's saying that we're the light of the world. What does that mean? We're supposed to be on fire for Jesus. Hello? Are you? See, God understands hot and he understands cold he doesn't understand lukewarm but we live in a generation where the church is spoken of as lukewarm and god says i don't like lukewarm i understand cold i understand hot but when when it comes to lukewarm it's like like right we like coffee hot we like coffee cold but lukewarm ooh. and god says i just want to puke you out of my mouth because you know we live in a generation of the church called laodicea where the church is really lukewarm and is satisfied with their salvation but they're not satisfied doing anything for jesus this isn't a guilt trip this is this is all about me right now okay i'm just talking to myself i'm glad i had another week to think about this because god needs to work on me i murmur and complain i don't always let my light so shine but god wants us on fire for him and it's important and let me just clear something up because you know what? I, I've heard some funky things in the last couple of years of, of, of like pastors talking about the fire of God as a negative thing. And, and I even went to a conference a few years back and there was a workshop and the pastor was saying, stop writing these songs of let, let your you know, fire burn or, or Lord, light the fire again or Lord, bring down your fire on your church. And he said, yeah, you've got to stop those because, because the fire of God is always judgment. And I go, I thought to myself, no, it's not. The fire of God is judgment to an unbeliever. But the fire of God on a believer is a refining fire that purifies us and makes us stronger. And, and so I, I, I beg to differ. I, I don't agree with that statement at all. I do believe and I do agree that there are times in the Bible where we see the fire of God is judgment. The lake of fire is judgment. The fire that came down on Sodom and Gomorrah was judgment. But to say that all the fire from God is judgment, that's not true for the believer. We're not condemned. God uses His fire to purify us, to refine us. It's not condemning, it's, it's for our betterment. And here where He says that we're supposed to be lights in a dark world, shining bright for His glory, you know, when you think about lights, here's, the, here's where we get messed up. We think about a light bulb or a flashlight. But they didn't know anything about that back then. So when he said, be a light, what what was he saying to them? They understood a light as a flame, a torch. 
We're supposed to be on fire for Jesus. The day of Pentecost, that, that wasn't judgment. The believers there that were born again, they were waiting to receive the power and the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when it took place in the church was birth, it said that cloven tongues of fire rested upon their head. Their heads weren't burning up. It was God saying, I'm blessing you. The fire, that, the pillar of fire that led the children in Israel was a, a, a pillar of fire from God that came down from heaven to protect them and guide them. When Moses dedicated the tabernacle and Solomon dedicated the temple that was first built, fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering on the altar. It wasn't judgment. It was God saying, I'm pleased with what you did. And Jeremiah, who, that amazing prophet who endured his whole life and never saw any fruit, got so fed up no fruit, nobody got saved. He was always mistreated. He goes, you know what? I quit. I am sick of this. You ever felt like that? Pastors get like that. We quit on Sunday and we sign back up Monday. But he goes, I quit. I'm not doing this. I, I, that's it. And you know what it says? It said the word of God burned in his heart and in his bones. And he says, I can't stop. God wants us to be lights that are shining in this dark world. You, you ever get up, you know, sometimes I, I'm always up in the middle of the night. So when I go outside to my office um, and I look up at the sky and it's clear and you know how you can just see billions of stars. It's amazing, right? Well, here's the thing. When God looks down on this dark earth, he sees billions of his stars all over the earth. That's you and me shining bright for his glory. We're to be a light. We're, we're called to, we're, we're to be introduced into this dark world. That's why there's no, there's no secret agent Christians. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says Christians are to isolate themselves and stay home. We're, we're supposed to come to church. Do you have to come to church to be saved? Absolutely not. Then why do we come to church? Because that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to learn to serve. That's where you're going to lay hands on people and pray for them. That's where you're going to have fellowship, corporate worship. It's so important. It's where you're going to learn more about God. Because what God wants you to do is to be filled up here and not be the Dead Sea, but be like the Sea of Galilee, living water, and to go out and spread that good news, to infiltrate a dark community with the Word of God, to be a light that shines bright for His glory. So how do we do that? How are we an example for, for Jesus? Well, look at verse 14. Do all things without complaining. <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you serious? That's just the one thing that just hit us all, didn't it? I am so good at complaining and disputing. And I'm sure you are too. But why would he even say this? I mean, don't we have a lot to complain about? I mean, look at our world. Look at this current administration. Look at what's happening in Ukraine. Look what's happening in your family. Look what's happening in your workplace. Don't we have a, don't we have a right to complain? God says, no. The closest thing that we have a right to when it comes to complaining is prayer. And really, that's, that's not to go up there and, and give your wine list. 
But it's to say, here I am, Lord, what do you have me to do? Why is he addressing murmuring and complaining in the church? Because when we murmur and we complain, we misrepresent God. When we murmur and complain, we're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. I would have done it differently. Is this hitting you like it's hitting me? Okay. You know what happens when we murmur and complain? We can miss out on God's blessing. What do you mean? You know, the children of Israel stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, when they left Egypt, they got to the promised land so fast. So fast. But the reason they didn't go into the promised land, because they didn't have faith. They didn't believe. They murmured and complained. They said, there's giants in the land our children are going to be devoured. You know what God said? He goes, no, you're going to be devoured in the wilderness and your children that you thought were going to be devoured are going to make it through the promised land. But because of a lack of faith, because of their murmuring and complaining, they walked in circles for 40 years and died in the wilderness. How many blessings have we missed out on by murmuring and complaining? And I know we all do it, but you know what? We need to be praying for strength. We need to be interceding for others like Jesus intercedes for you. You remember when Moses got so fed up because the children of Israel, all they did was complain about Moses. They blamed Moses for everything. You brought us out here to die. I can't believe this. Oh, it would have been better to stay in Egypt where there was meat and there was fish and there was bread. You brought us out here to die. We would rather die there with a full belly of meat and bread. And it came to a point where Moses just goes, God, I've had it with these people. Kill them all. Just kill them, wipe them out, smoke them. And God says, Moses, why, why would you want me to do that? Then the world's going to think that I wasn't able to deliver my people. And he goes, oh, you're right. And days later, all of a sudden, God pushes Moses out of the way. He says, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all. I'm just smoking. I've had it with these guys. Oh, stiff-necked, rebellious people. And, and Moses is like, God, Lord, you can't do that. What is Egypt going to say? That you wouldn't be able to deliver your children? He goes, all right, you're right. What was God doing? He was teaching us to have intercession, to have a conversation, to intercede for one another, to go to our knees and pray. And many times where it looks like where God is working on Moses and then God's saying these things to Moses, God is giving Moses an opportunity to respond. It's not like God is changing his mind about anything. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. The word disputing there is not like a, a debate. There's, there's a thing called a healthy debate two different opinions, and you're sharing those opinions. This is more of an unhealthy debate. The word disputing here means an unproductive discussion, an illogical discussion, a discussion that's going nowhere. Ever been in one of those? You ever felt like you're just going round and round circles? Nothing's getting solved. Everybody just wants to be heard. And when we murmur and complain, we actually 
destroy the blessings in our lives because now we become people that don't build up people, we tear down people. We tear down people in the church. Well, I don't like what the pastor said today. I don't like the way she looked at me. And I don't like this and I don't like that and I think they should do this in ministry and I think they should do that in ministry. Are you someone who always complains about church and the people and that you want this done your way? And You know, it's funny, but usually people, when they want you to do something, they, they don't want to do it themselves. They just want you to do it. Pastor, I got this great idea. And I go, great, let's pray about your ministry. Oh, I didn't want to do it. I thought it was something you should do. I got enough to do. If God put it on your heart, he put it in you. Now work it out with fear and trembling, awe and wonder because he wants to use you. That's why he put it on your heart, not mine. But if we come to church and all we do, and I know this isn't you guys, but there's other churches like this, that people just come to church, they just complain. They murmur and they complain about everything. I heard uh, Kent Hughes say that um, he called the modern-day church the, the Mick Church, that we're a bunch of Mick Christians. And we want the fast drive-through, have-it-our-way type thing, and if we don't get it our way, we're going to pack it up and move down the street till we find another church that gives it our way. The, the McChristians for the McChurch of today. I remember when I was a little kid, um, President Kennedy, during a time when the nation was murmuring and complaining, President Kennedy said, ask not what your nation can do for you, but what can you do for your nation? And I thought, that's really good for church, right? I had a couple visiting a few years ago, and they came up. It was their first time here, and they think, we really like this church. We think we're going to make this our home. What can this church do for us? And I was a little tired. It was the second service. and <laughs> I, was, I was like, you know, you, you shouldn't ask what God's church can do for you, but what you can do for God's church. And it's easy for all of us to complain. I, I tell you what, even left to ourselves, we'll start complaining, right? I don't know if you guys heard the story of the guy on the island, shipwrecked guy on the island shipwrecked right he's there for years stranded he's like you know like that movie with what's his name tom hanks and his best friend was like what a soccer ball wilson right right so this guy's stranded there and the coast guard goes by and they know that this is you know a deserted island uninhabited and they see buildings on the shoreline and so they were like, wait a minute, this, nobody's supposed to be here. Let's pull over. We need to check this out. And so they pulled over to check it out, and they come onto the shoreline, and this guy comes running out. You saved me. You saved me. I've been here for years. I was shipwrecked a long time ago. And they go, is there anybody else? He goes, no, there's nobody else. It's just me. I can't believe it. You saved me. And so they started to give him some food and ask him some questions and you know, check him out medical-wise and everything like that. And, and he's like, how did you find me? And they go, well, we were just, we were just going by on our in our ship and we, we noticed these buildings and we knew that this island was uninhabited so we pulled over to check it out and he said what are these buildings and, and and the man said oh 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 this building right here this is my house he was so excited about it. he was so proud this is my house this is where i live and they said well what's this other building and they go oh this is my church this is my church this is where i worship god 
And they said, well, what's this other building? And he goes, oh, that's the church I used to go to. Do you come to church to murmur and complain, or do you come to serve, to help, to be a blessing to others, to pour it into each other, to encourage one another? I guess the thing to say would be, don't come and serve in the church if you're going to grumble. Because God doesn't like that. Because you're not serving in the church for me. You're not serving for Calvary Chapel. You're serving Jesus. So if you're not happy, take it up with him. Because I've had people in the past over the years say, you know what, nobody appreciates me. It seems like I'm the only one that's doing this job. Nobody cares. No, one's, no one gives me an attaboy. And I go, well, why are you doing it? Because Jesus told me. I go, take it up with him. If Jesus told you to do it, do it. You don't need the attaboy. You don't need someone else to come alongside you. I mean, that would be nice, but you know, it's not always going to happen in ministry. Sometimes you're going to feel all alone. But you're not alone. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Listen, this is some things that will murmuring will cause in your life. Number one, it will cause you to be unthankful. It will cause you to be self-centered. It will cause you to start acting unholy. It'll cause you to be incapable to love others. When you murmur and complain, you'll start refusing to forgive others. You'll become emotionally unpredictable. You'll become arrogant. You'll be mean-spirited. You'll become stubborn. So how do we stop complaining? I think the answer is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks. Things aren't always going to go your way. I think Paul said it really good. Just flip a page over to Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse... 11, <coughs> excuse me, 4.11, Paul says this, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned at whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. Great portion of Scripture. We're to shine bright for His glory. Because we are in a dark, crazy world, aren't we? We're in that time at the end where Jesus said they would speak evil of good and good of evil, right? 
mean, the stuff that you see today is crazy that's out there. So the question is, is do you stand out for Jesus? Or do you blend in? I'll take a pause. Do you stand out in this community, in this world? Or do you look just like the world? Do you talk just like the world? Or do you stand out? This is a weird world. That's doing weird things. And we need to stand up for Jesus Christ, especially now more than ever in a crooked and perverse generation, right? We need to be lights that shine bright for His glory that when they see our good works, they glorify the Father in heaven, not us. I encourage you parents, take a stand at your schools for your kids. Hello, get involved. Guys, we can't just stand in the back and say, that's wrong, that's wrong. We need to make a stand. If you're a parent here and you have kids, find out what they're teaching your kids. Don't always say, oh, that's mainland, that's not here. Oh, when it gets here, it's too late. Let's take, let's take charge before it gets too late. It's not right to have drag queens come into the, our four- and five-year-old classrooms and tell them it's okay to be a drag queen. Hello? Am I talking to humans? I, I'm sorry, this stuff upsets me. God loves the drag queen. He hates his sin. God loves the homosexual. He hates his sin. We shouldn't be teaching these things to our kids. This is wrong. They, they have these new things. I don't know. You ask your kids. They have full diagrams of every type of sexual act there is between a heterosexual and a homosexual. All points of contact, whether it's you know, regular sex, oral sex, or whatever. Every, they got it all. And it's all drawn out. And it's graphic. To show to your little kids who shouldn't even know about sex at this age. And they sent it to Congress. And Congress, you know when you watch a movie on TV and there's nudity and they put that little blurred box? Hello? Anybody? <laughs> Got to work with me here, guys. This is like give and take, all right? They put a blurred box on these diagrams that they showed Congress. So if Congress didn't want to look at it, why should we be showing this to our little children? And if you're not willing to go down and ask what's being taught at the schools, you're part of the, you're part of the problem. Okay, I got off track. Where were we? Stop murmuring and complaining. We're supposed to carry on with the Father's business until he, the Lord comes. But guys, we've got to take a stand and say wrong is wrong. I'm not asking you to be consumed with being an activist. I'm just asking you to not be afraid to say that's wrong. To be straight, to speak truth. You know how many times when someone says something wrong and we just kind of like, well, we don't want to say anything because we don't want to stir up trouble. Yeah, stir up trouble. We live in a dark world that's on its way to hell who will be judged. And the Lord is coming soon. The day of Christ speaks of the rapture. And I think it's going to happen really soon. Are we ready? 
Is everybody in your life ready? Is all the people in your family ready? Holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain and labored in vain. Paul's saying, listen, um, when Jesus comes, I want to know that I didn't do all this in vain. That everything I poured into you guys, teaching you about right and what's wrong and standing up for right and wrong, that it wasn't in vain. It didn't go in one ear and out the other. I want to see... He, he's, what he's saying is like, I want to see God reward you for your good works. That you worked out what he worked in you with fear and trembling, awe and wonder, and you performed and he kept giving you more and you kept doing more for Jesus Christ. He says, I want to see you at the Bema Seat of Christ with crowns and jewels and because of the works, they were genuine. And I want to know that I didn't run in vain. Or labor in vain. Labor, the word there is, is to the point of exhaustion. He says, yes, and if I've been poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. He says, listen, I'll do whatever I can to get you to that finish line. That's the way we should be towards each other. What can I do? How can I help you? Not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? How can I pour into you? How can I disciple you? How can I encourage you? I want, I want to be, you know, Romans 12 says, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Being not conformed to this world, but being ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God says, present yourself a living sacrifice. Paul's saying here, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. What does that mean? Well, in, in Genesis 35, we see the drink offering with Jacob. In Leviticus 23, we see the drink offering mentioned, and it's mentioned in Numbers 2. The, the drink offering was something they put on the burn offering. The burn offering was completely to God. Sweet Savior rising up. Ooh, the smell of barbecue. Woo! And then what they would do is they'd come up with a hint of wine and they'd pour wine over the top sometimes. And it was the drink offering. What happens when that liquid hits the hot coals? Its steam rises up and it disappears. Paul is saying, listen, I want my life to be a drink offering. Pour it out. So when people look at the sacrifice, the real sacrifice, Jesus Christ, I'm like a drink offering. Pour it out on top of that sacrifice. And I'm like a steam that rises up and disappears. So people don't see me. They only see Jesus. So let me close with this. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions and conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Work out your own salvation, guys. 
with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That's what God wants. Be content and trust God even when you can't see or understand what's going on. Romans 8.28 says what? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All. All. Are you shining bright in a dark world? Can you say God is at work even when you don't get your way? Are you content in Christ Jesus no matter what? Or are you always complaining? Do you see the best in your situation or the worst? Do you see the glass half empty or half full? Same glass, half. But some people are like, I still got half. And other people are like, I only got half. I told you the story about the twins before. i got to say it again because it fits right in here right now. I'm just thinking about this. A guy that had twins. One was a pessimist. One was an optimist. One saw the worst in everything. The other one saw the best in everything. One was doom and gloom, and the other one was just, just happy about everything and joyous like we should be as Christians. One saw the glass half empty. The other saw the glass half full. And so this father didn't know what to do with them, and their birthday was coming up, and so he thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to try to change this around. And so they were in school that day, and so what he did on their birthday was he bought, and he put all these presents. He filled his one kid, who's the pessimist, his whole room with presents and toys. And then in the other room, the guy that always saw the best everything, he filled his room with manure. And so he picks them up at school and he goes, listen, you guys, your presents are in your room. And they were so excited. They ran down the hall. They went into their rooms and, and he's waiting and he's listening. And all of a sudden he hears, he hears the one kid who has all the toys in his room crying and weeping and wailing. And he goes in there and he goes, what is wrong with you? And he's sitting in the middle of the room and he's holding up these manuals. He's going, look at all these toys. I'll never understand how to use them and they're all going to need batteries. And he's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this kid? And as he's standing in there just marveling how he's responding, he hears in the other room, the other kid is just laughing hilariously and just full of joy. And, 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 and he just hears this laughter and he goes into the room and he sees his son sitting in the middle of the room and he's throwing poo in the air, laughing his head off. <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? He goes, hey, with all of this, there's got to be a pony in here. How do you see your situation? Is the glass half empty or half full? Is there a pony in your storm? I see one riding a white horse who's just and true, and he's coming back to take what he purchased on the cross. Do all things without murmuring, complaining. Let your light so shine in a perverse, crooked generation that we make a difference. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, further reminder, Holy Spirit, <sighs> strengthen us, Lord God. Use us any way you see fit, Lord, and, and give us a surrendered heart. Give us uh, the ability to humble ourselves and to seek your face and to do whatever you call us to do. Help us to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Lord, let us be a light that shines bright for your glory. Strengthen us now, we ask, by the power of the Holy Spirit.
We ask these things in Jesus' name, the name above all names. We ask this in his precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you guys.